Welcome to the WBT, the Wrath-Bearing Trees podcast about literature, history, culture, and only if we have to, politics. Everyone on the WBT editorial team has some direct connection to the military, either we're veterans ourselves or our military spouses. In each episode of the WBT podcast, we take a different subject of interest to us and investigate it. I'm Mary Doyle, and your host for this week's show. I'm a veteran of the Army Reserve and have worked as an Army civilian for a couple of decades. I'm also an author and a contributing editor on the Wrath-Bearing Tree web magazine. Thanks for joining me. In our podcast introduction, we always say we discuss a wide variety of topics, but on the topic of politics, it's only when we have to. Today, we have to. Amalia Flynn is a poet and the author of Wife and War, the Memoir, and she contributes to a collection of poetry blogs. David James served as a fire support officer in the 173rd Airborne and deployed a couple of times to Afghanistan. He now teaches English in Italy. Both of them are also editors on the Wrathbearing Tree web magazine. The three of us got together on Skype to talk about what responsibilities, if any, writers or artists have to include politics or social issues in their work. We went off on various tangents, but in the end, I think it was an engaging discussion. I hope you think so, too. Well, uh, yeah, it's a a big question, which uh, I was interested in discussing because uh, I'm going to participate in a, a panel and I just sort of wanted to bounce my ideas off you guys, actually. But the question mostly is, is there a duty of artists to engage in the larger world, you know, to fight injustice and things of that nature? Or is it just to create sort of a traditional art for art's sake and create things which are aesthetically pleasing or uh, their own personal ambitions? Well, I, I can say that... Um I find it really, really difficult to write right now. Um, it, it's really difficult for me to um, bring any real attention to the page. I find myself um, because I, you know, I write fiction. I write urban fantasy and mystery, and and these are supposed to be stories that are kind of escapism, you know. And um, so it's just difficult for me to remove myself from thinking about all the crap that's going on right now and and just sort of write this junk that <laughs> just feels like junk compared to um, what's going on. So you're saying that your uh, in- intended escapist fiction isn't escapist anymore because uh, the real world is actually crazier than science yeah. fiction or horror or right. the other genres. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Right. That itself seems like a good theme for uh, fiction. When the genre fiction actually becomes uh, worse than the real world, it, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Right. I think the role, though, of escapism is probably probably really important if that's if that's what you write that has an important role for people right now because they need to be able to escape from the constant um, barrage of, of news. So I think that that would have an important role. 
it might, but I mean, I'd ha I I need to escape from it too, <laughs> in order to write it. And it just um, I've I've found you know I've been wrestling with three different projects that I'm trying to rewrite, and I just can't seem to um, I can't seem to get into the right headspace for them. So help. <laughs> Is that so? Yeah, as a writer, you find it difficult to do your work now because of the real world political situation in it. That's right? Yes. So, yeah, that is. Is, um, so, is it because it's so noisy? Because I find that it's, you know, it's, I'm very involved in it all the time. And so when I write, I really need a uh, quiet space in my brain mm -hmm. um, to be creative and to create. Um, so that my it, it definitely poses a problem in the fact that it's a lot of a lot of noise right but my writing is more issue oriented so it tends to feed it but also you have to kind of retract from it in order to create i think right it's just responding off the cuff constantly how do you do that how do you you know pull back from it enough to write about it actually I think it just, um, I, I also find myself challenged by it for the first time, but I think it just takes discipline in the sense that I actually have to shut off um, the other bite. I, I often write in my head, so I often like go for a bike ride or go for a long walk and um, just not bring my phone <laughs> and just try to be in that creative space. It definitely intrudes on it. It feeds the creative space, but it also intrudes on it because it just it's very time consuming. I think. Right. You right, and trying to di digest the politics is time consuming. Right. Well, yeah, t trying to digest it, and then also, well, not really trying to digest it, but just the fact that it's constantly unfolding. Yeah. Um, so it's it's basically constant. Um, and I'm very interested in all of it, so it's um, I find myself engrossed in it on kind of a constant basis. So what you're saying is that uh, in order to create uh, art, which could be fiction or even escapist fiction, you need to escape yourself from the world. But it's too hard because of the you know the typical 24/7 media cycle and the negative news we're bombarded with. So basically, uh, yeah, it seems a bit ironic that the, the creators of the fiction, and especially if it's escapist, can't escape themselves in order to create the fiction. This word we've used a lot now at the beginning, escapism, I think is interesting. And I wanted to think about, you know, is that a word that's generally used as a pejorative? You know, it's like just lightweight things that distract people from their real world cares and helps them escape from their, their duties in itself. I mean, is that how you see it? Is it a negative word in, is, in terms of art, fiction? Um, well, I, I feel like it's almost necessary at times, especially now. I mean, it's just too much. I mean, there are kids being separated from their parents. It's like on Father's Day. <laughs> You know, and uh, it just—it's just too much. Right. So, this, uh, yeah, escapism. You know, I think is a term 
which is often used for genre fiction, right? And you know, which could be sci-fi or mystery and a whole plethora of other things, right? But I think it's generally used in uh, confrontation against sort of literary fiction. Is that how you guys see it? Hmm. I mean, that's not. I'm not saying I agree with that necessarily, but even if it's for marketing purposes, it seems to be a dichotomy, right? Right. In, in fiction, especially. So escapism is seen as something which is lighter weight, and uh, you know, literary is something I don't know more sophisticated. Is, uh, that, well, yeah. is that the typical stereotype? Well, I I I think that that it that might be a stereotype, but I think that there I I think there's definitely literary fiction that is just as escapist as genre fiction uh, can be. There's been some writers who have touched on this actually, and like um, um, said that there's a component of gender to it as well, mm. which is a whole other discussion. But that sometimes. Uh, female writers get um, kind of classified as escapist or a beach read or something like that um, versus a male writer who might uh, write something that is along the same lines as far as um, criteria. Of what, I don't even know of what would make a, an escapist uh, piece of writing. But I do think it's, it's used in that way. That David described, I think it's used in in terms of um, kind of labeling something as as um, I don't know more uh, more frivolous maybe, but all writing is has its uh, its own worth, and I think genres are I, I don't know I write cross genre I, I write my writing crosses genres, so I'm not a big fan of categorizing things, mm -hmm. sticking them in a box. Mm -hmm. So how how what 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 genres do you think your writing crosses? Well, I mean, I write um, like when when I wrote my my book, Wife and War, the memoir. It's like a collection of poems. Uh -huh. but it's a memoir, but um, some of them are blocks blocks of prose. They all have kind of a compositional um, component to them, like how they look. So the spacing is really important to me. Um, so I don't, I, I guess I've been dubbed a poet, and I accept that um, gladly, but um, I think that, I think I, so I think I cross the genre of prose and poetry. Sure. Right, and that's interesting because, uh, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, the genres is just a label that's often given to uh, writers or artists, whereas, you know, in fact, they just want to create something and it doesn't have a label when it's being created. You know, it could be fiction, but also it's history, or it could be fiction right. and nonfiction. And the lines are always blurred in all writing, really. And it could be science fiction, but it's also literary, and everything could be working together. Right. So I think, um, yeah, the larger picture then we're thinking about is what do artists and creators and writers um, have to deal with or have to think about when they're doing this work, regardless of which genre or label it is given, you know, what are they trying to do? Are they just trying to create something for their own sake, to create work? Are they trying to send a message to the larger world? 
or even more than that, to do something like fighting injustice? Well, I think it's a complex question, and I've thought about it a lot over the years. Um, I'm somebody who writes more issue-oriented work, but still, even though when I say that, there's still a component that just comes from me and my um, my inspiration or my creative functioning. So I think it's always a cross of the two. But I think that people who say that they only create things that they you know, that it isn't about society or it's not um, in a response to a social issue. Um, I don't think that's actually possible because the person creating the work is in the context that they're in, the historical, right. socio, social context that they're in, and they can't create with without coming from that place um, and responding to the things around them. And then you have the other component, which is, in terms of writing, you have the reader, and they're reading it from their, you know, context. So those two contexts are constantly engaging, and those two contexts are what kind of create the um, the experience of reading a book or reading a piece of um, poetry or a short story. So um, I think there's always uh, a wider lens to anybody's writing. It's, I, think, I think it's inescapable. Right, and I think um, usually the best writing could be received in a variety of ways. You know, it, so it depends on, like you said, the writer and the reader, and it depends on where they're from, what they intend, how it's received. But also, you know, there's always the question of identity and, uh, you know, uh, empathy, I think, is a big idea, uh, which has a pretty big effect in fiction. Um, as far as making a work re relevant or having a larger purpose, um, you know, I think maybe it's one of the features that makes it go beyond sort of a, a smaller, uh, you know, smaller-minded fic fiction is something that has empathy or allows you to see through the eyes of other people or to feel what they feel. I mean, that's something on the way towards politics anyway. I think it's it kind of goes back to what um, Amalia was talking about with um, how fiction is looked at differently dependent upon whether the author is male or female. I don't know when that dynamic, you know, kind of came about, but I think it probably is, it's always been there and it's probably attributed to publishing, um, to reviews, and kind of the industry surrounding writing. Um, more than the the writing itself. Uh, right. Jennifer Weiner wrote a piece about it uh, for the New York Times, actually, because she's like a best-selling genre, um, you know, dubbed, she's usually dubbed chick lit kind of writing. Mm -hmm. um, she's, you know, very widely read and had been, I believe, on the bestseller list, um, but never uh, kind of gotten... Um, I guess she felt categorized in, in the way that she felt was appropriate. So she wrote a piece on it. I can't, I think it was for the New York Times, but it was interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, so do you think an author's identity then, which, I mean, we're speaking about women authors in, in this case, but, you know, is I, the identity of the author itself, could that be a political statement or could it say something about the work beyond the plot and the words in the work? You know, is the author's identity really uh, central? Well, I, I think it depends on what kind of 
um, work you're doing. I mean, when I wrote, when I started um, my Wife in War blog, I started to write poetry uh, about uh, my husband's deployment and about war in general. So it came from a place of my personal experience, but I was writing it several years after it had actually happened. And it depends on the reader. Some readers really connect with the person, uh, personal aspect of it, like that it happened to you or that um, they want to connect with you in that way, whereas others are viewing it as a piece of writing separate from the author. So I think it speaks to the wider uh, consumption patterns of our society, too. We're part of... Um, a society now that likes to um, consume stories, real life stories, whether it's like reality television or people's personal accounts of things. So I think people, if you write memoir or nonfiction, I think people, some readers do identify with the author because of that kind of consumption pattern that's existing outside of literature, just in other places in their lives. I think that um, when you add race to that consumption, it's it's really interesting because if you're if you're a black author and you're writing memoir, um, it uh, the reader, you know how I almost feel like black readers have a different kind of will consume that memoir differently than a white reader, and. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that difference in consumption pa passes over to um, genre fiction as well. You know, when you're when I'm reading a book, if the if the character's race isn't identified, it's like the the default white character. Um, and and you know, I've had this conversation so many times about how. Um, you know, some people say that they don't identify the, the race of their characters because they want to be all-inclusive. Well, mm. <laughs> being all-inclusive, you know, if you, do, if you don't identify the race of a character, the character is going to be considered white. Um, it's just, I don't know if it's the same way if, if I'm reading, if, 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 say, I'm East Indian and I'm reading something or if I'm uh, Kenyan and I'm reading something but I know that in America that's that's what the default is right and maybe that also it, it depends on who the author is so if you know that the author is a white male you automatically probably identify an unnamed character as someone like the author but if I'm going into a book which is by a female, uh, you know, Nigerian, uh, maybe I'm sort of automatically doing something different. But yeah, I think the author's identity is pretty key. And uh, yeah, it's really hard to separate that from what you're going to find in the work, especially if it's about race or identity of characters, right? Like if there's a black character, but the author was white, you know, and in America especially, you know, you're just going to think about what the dynamic is. Right. I was thinking about that because I just, you know, I was, I came across some examples of this recently, you know, where um, the, I read a short stories collection by uh, Richard Ford. It's the first time I've, I've read anything by him. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of uh, probably controversial where, 
you know, I just got the feeling that that's the kind of guy who is not writing exactly from an empathetic or, you know, global point of view, especially as regards race. I don't know if you guys any, know anything about that or have any similar examples. He's, uh, you know, an older white male author, and he comes from the South. And, yeah, all the stories are very similar about sort of uh, down-on-your-luck white folks from the country or the West, Montana. And, you know, if a character... There, there were plenty of uh, occasional secondary characters who came up, and it was mentioned, you know, uh, then there was a black woman at the door but then you didn't hear anything else about it. Hmm. And, you know, I was wondering why that was even, you know, that was the main part of the identity of that forgettable character. Huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. It's hard to explain exactly, but that's kind of the thing I'm thinking about in terms of race and there's the dominant, you know, still the white male dominant paradigm probably in most ways, although I think it's changing a lot. Yeah, we're... Uh, everything and well, if we're talking about America, uh, yeah, we're going to find racism in some way, almost everywhere we look, right? Whereas, you know, uh, maybe you get you guys have read something by uh, you know Chimamanda Adichie, the Nigerian writer, and I think there's she's been very popular in America and other places all around Europe and in the world, and. I think probably it's just my impression for many people that's sort of the, the first time they've read something which is really excellent fiction but from uh, the point of view which is really so different from their own not just from um, written by a woman instead of a man uh, from their country but written from a totally different cultural context and I think that itself can be a political statement and something that also creates empathy which, as I see, is a social and a political issue. Right. The role of any, uh, I think, any piece of art or any literature um, should be to kind of present the reader with an experience in which even if the, if the experience or the story that they're telling is familiar, or if it's not, a way to find humanity in it, like our shared humanity. So I find that um, a great piece of work tends to connect people, even if it's showing the disconnections that exist in society um, or among people. Um, there's something in it that shows that, that the reader can connect to. What are you working on now? I'm working on um, a piece, uh, I'm working on something about gun violence, which is hmm. very intense, very intense to, to work on. And which is interesting in and of itself because, um, and that's why I think it's something good for me to work on because it's uncomfortable, it's, um, it's hard, you know, so I think that's good. Is, <laughs> but it, a, definitely what, is it a poem or is it? I mean, it's poetic at this point and then I'm going to see how I can put it together. But yeah, I work in kind of poetry, but it's narrative. It has like a narrative connect like it's not there are different pieces but there's a narrative uh -huh. arc happening kind of so far mm -hmm. <laughs> right so that that seems like a textbook case of an artist creating something explicitly for a political reason or inspired by the political situation in some way to fight for 
something positive or to send a message? Right. I think it's it, the topic is um, both personal and political at once because I'm, um, you know, living in, in, in America right now, I'm a mother, I have children, um, so I think it's my way to engage with the topic creatively. Mm-hmm. So. I'm working on this short story that um, it's about uh, my, my mother had a brother who had, or my uncle had 11 kids. Um, that was the white side of my family. And the, my dad's uh, sister had 10 kids, the black side of my family. And um, those cousins never really met each other. Um, and when my father died, we, um, he used to go up to northern Minnesota where the White family lived and do a lot of fishing. So when he died, we um, took his ashes to the lake where he always fished and put him in a paper boat and sent him off in the lake. And at that memorial service, my the oldest uh, cousin on the white side of the family and the oldest cousin on the black side of the family sat together and had this conversation that I couldn't hear but they are so completely different and I um, so I just am sort of imagining this conversation that they had and the cousin on my black side of the family spent most of his life in prison he went to prison when he was about 14 went to juvenile hall when he was about 14 years old and basically was never out of prison for more than a couple of years for the rest of his life. And the other cousin is this very Christian man who basically found Jesus after um, being an alcoholic and going to AA. Um, so the two of them, I mean, their lives were so completely different, but they had this connection with my father and um, so that's kind of what I'm writing about. And, and it's really difficult for me to get it focused because I feel so much for both of them. Um, and, um, and it, you know, it's about um, mass incarceration and, you know, the fact that Billy, I mean, he probably just got into a fight or something when he was in junior high and ended up on this long you know, trajectory of prison and, um, yeah, so that's what I'm working on. So is this, uh, fiction? Yeah. Uh, the, yes, the conversation is fiction. It's a short right, story. Because you couldn't hear them, so you have to make right. it up. I had to make mm. it up, yeah. So it's historical fiction. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, so you're talking about themes which are, you know, very human, but also, yeah, political, especially in America. So um, I think, um, you know, it's always a question of, you know, how political does the writer get when they're creating their work? Is it something which is really addressed head on explicitly about race and gun violence and war and other things? Or is it something which they deal with sort of uh, obliquely? tangentially, you know, a secondary thing where you can feel the theme, but it's not central to the characters' relationships and other things happening, but it's underlining part of it. I don't know, I guess that sort of makes a work more or less political in a certain sense. 
Yeah, I guess I'm I'm usually coming at things sideways a bit. <laughs> Never really head on. Well, that's probably the best way, you know, for a, for a good artist, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it would be nonfiction, maybe. I don't know. Childish Gambino's This Is America, that was a pretty much head-on, <laughs> um, you know, in-your-face sort of study of race in America. Very intense, very intense. Yeah. Right. But I think um, as I'm trying to just think about it a little bit informally, it seems like most, that's probably rare, it seems like most art and literature that is political at all, it is really uh, secondary and maybe under the surface a bit. I mean, you're not, there's Orwell and there's some cases where it's blatantly political, but I think most of the time it's sort of dealt with as a underlying theme. Well, I think it just depends on the artist, really, how they approach it. So what attracts you to a writing project or an idea? So if you're more, you know, starting from this place of story and from your own experience or from an experience, a story that you've heard and you're more starting in the imaginative place, at some point you have to figure out how to make it resonate with people in society. So you have to take it from that very personal and make it political, not in the sense of like, you know, obvious uh, administrative kind of politics, but just political in the sense of being a political social being. Um, whereas if you approach something because you're attracted to an issue, um, at some point you have to make it personal so that it's going to resonate with the reader on a personal level and an intimate level. They're going to feel an intimate connection to the story that you're telling. Mm -hmm. So I think that you can approach it either way, but then you have to do the work on either end um, to make sure that the piece that comes out uh, is personal and intimate, but also has, you know, social connection with the reader and with what they are going through, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately, they're going to read your piece and interact with it um, and and make make it what it is to them. Good point. Right. Yeah, really good. And so we have a couple of comparisons, you know, where every work of fiction has to be, you know, read at a personal level, you know, following characters and, you know, you'll empathize with them. But then there's also a wider level. Like, so it's sort of everything is particular, but everything that's really good should also be universal. Hmm. I think part of that universality is obviously a political issue. Not always. I mean, there's philosophical themes and mm -hmm. things about being human, but I think something political, you know, probably what really makes a work more important. Yeah, what did we decide then? Is there actually uh, a duty of artists and writers to, um, you know, to write for a global community and make their work universal? Or can they also just write for their own personal um, ambition and pride and aesthetic tendencies? I don't know that it's a duty, but I don't know that it can be avoided. Mm -hmm. and I, I don't know how you can um, create in this world the way, especially the way it is right now, and not have some sort of political um, uh, influence in what it is you're creating. 
Right. And I would agree with that. I think it's impossible not to. And I think it's a really interesting idea about just writing for the aesthetic of writing um, because that in itself is political, right? The avoidance mm -hmm. of politics is political. It's a wow. privileged kind of uh, statement there to just kind of disengage. So I think that um, no matter how much you try to get around it, you're you're in it. Yeah. And um, so the and 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 also the fact that the reader is coming from their space where they're um, in the socio-political climate of their own lives, and so they're going to bring that and overlay it on top of your writing, and it's going to form their experience with it. So I think it's impossible. Yeah. It's, it's, what's interesting is our, our, the introduction that we use for these podcasts when we say, um, you know, only if we have to, politics, and it's like, we have to, you know, there's just no, um, no avoiding it, really. Right, right. I think we say that because we don't want to get weighed down, you know, bogged down in huh. that swamp of the cesspool of day-to-day -day politics. But I think we do want to engage with larger political issues of ideology at some higher level. We don't want to talk about day-to-day -day scandals, probably. Right, I think that the wrath bearing tree seems to, we have a focus on, focusing on the philosophical, like what the what it all means. And that is a very connective kind of question, finding meaning in the daily barrage. And we started this conversation, Mary, with you saying, you know, how do I disengage right. with all the day-to-day -day, um, things and, and create. And I think that uh, David just touched on it in that uh, it just struck me, which is that it's you have to take it all and then create meaning. I mean, that's what, to me, all art making is. It's, it's, it's creating meaning in, out, of, out of everything. We could close by just mentioning again the, the famous quote by Percy Shelley, you know, the romantic poet, uh, which was, poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. And uh, maybe it's a cliche in some sense, but considering not everybody considers poetry to be so important, it's probably good to emphasize that again, that there is a purpose to art and literature, and it has influence and can affect politics and probably should. That's all the time we have. Remember to check out the website at www.wrathbearingtree.com. That's one word, wrathbearingtree.com. Subscribe to the website or become one of our supportive patrons. If you're a writer, we invite you to submit works of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, reviews, and commentary to our website for inclusion in a future edition. That's WBT for this time. I'm Mary Doyle. Thanks for listening. <music>